So our first reading this morning is taken from Judges, chapter 7, verses 8 to 25. And it can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 249. So reading from Judges, chapter 7, starting at verse 8, 8b. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, sick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying, A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given him the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the three hundred men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mahola near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, 
and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. 1 to 7, on page 694. Half a moment. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people, walking in darkness, have seen a great light. On those in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, thank you very much, David, for reading that to us. Um, Keep page 694 open, please, if you would. And we have that uh, aforementioned uh, video just to remind us of Hope Explored. I think the question in view is, what gives you hope for the future? It's a survey that was asked that question in London, I guess. I don't know, looking at the future. My grandchildren, family. Uh, good vibes, uh, good people around of me, always being positive. Uh, food sometimes is weird kind, but 
Yes, food makes me feel good as well. I don't know, really, no. <laughs> Nothing particular, but my experience in life makes me, hopefully, everything went well. Gosh, <laughs> that's such a big question. Um, I mean, the people around me coming into university every day and, you know, continuing to work for the goals that we have together and like I don't know it feels like we're all a team kind of going through the stuff that we're doing together I don't know like obviously we're all concerned about the world around us but it gives me hope that we're all doing small things you know and still doing things for our future oh. <laughs> you got me on the spot what hope um well I just hope the covid goes away I suppose Thank you. That's just a, a little nudge just to suggest, I think, that um, this is a question that people might ask, but they find quite hard to answer, isn't it? Um, it's a reasonable question for us to ask and to just gently suggest to people that uh, it's worth looking into, is it not? So quite a good idea for a course. And I wonder whether you've got people in mind uh, that you could consider inviting to that course in the new year, those three Wednesdays, 10th, 17th, 24th, on a Wednesday night. The Bible assumes that um, people will ask Christians to give a reason, not for their belief, but for their hope. And I think prophecies that we've been looking at in Isaiah, and this one in Isaiah chapter 9, go a long way to answering that question. What gives you hope, do they not? So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and think a little more about it. I'm going to pray for us as we turn to God's word before we look a little more into it. And it is our prayer, Heavenly Father, that uh, your faithfulness would be a great encouragement to us. You've made promises in the past. You're not in the habit of lying or changing your mind, you keep those promises. So as we turn to your word now, uh, will you fill our lives with hope and make us bearers of that hope to others? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want from Isaiah chapter 9 to focus on two aspects of the hope and uh, why we can have hope. The change that's promised there... And the child, the child through whom that change will come. So let's look first at the change that is promised there. You've probably heard people say in the past, uh, or maybe you've said yourself, uh, things are never going to be the same again. There's a, a situation of change that comes. You've heard or uttered that sort of sentiment. Sometimes it's sort of on a, a big historical scale. I was thinking of... Uh, when Oppenheimer's bomb drops on Hiroshima, I bet it was said then, humanity realizing from that point onwards that we had the capacity to annihilate ourselves in a way that hadn't existed before that time or we didn't think it had. Things will never be the same again when that happens, surely. Maybe it's said on a sort of personal level. Some news comes to us, a diagnosis that we weren't thinking about, uh, a breakdown in a relationship that puts that relationship 
beyond recovery, we think. And we might say then, things will never be the same again. But of course it can be a positive statement. You imagine how in international affairs at the moment, if a peace deal in the Middle East came to good effect, or if a, a commitment to take steps to halt the rise in global temperature was really taken on board by people, um, how that might be greeted. Might be that positive spin on things will never be the same again. Great. Well, here, the change that is promised by God is phenomenal. Uh, these are some of the most amazing promises that Almighty God has ever made to human beings of a permanent change for the better in their lot. I've sort of broken it down. I'm not very impressed with my categories breaking it down because they all overlap with each other, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've broken it down like this. Darkness to light. That's one aspect of the change. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned, uh, Isaiah says in verse 2. Uh, we're getting very close, alluded to by David, I think, at some point in the service already, to the shortest day of the year. And I suppose sort of in England we're, we're pretty much used to that. Maybe people visiting from elsewhere in the world find it tricky to get used to those short, short days we have at this point. But we pretty much put up with it. Once we get to December the 22nd, from then on each day is getting longer, isn't it? Summer is breaking out all over the, the country at that point. It won't be long before we're all in shorts and putting on sun cream again. But what if, what if, imagine, what if the light carried on fading still further after December the 22nd, with days getting shorter and shorter until the day came when the sun didn't rise at all and looked like it would never return. It's quite a thought, isn't it? But darkness like that is the state of humanity in God's sight, according to Isaiah. And, I don't know, maybe for you, this is my experience, those graphic pictures coming out of Gaza help us to realize that that is actually true. Humanity is in the darkness, at least by nature we are, except for the fact that God can change that and indeed promise to do so through Isaiah with a brilliance even more dramatic than when the sun rises and its rays push back the darkness, that little miracle that happens every day. Okay, for another aspect of the change, how about this? Poverty to plenty. Let me read from verse 3 again. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So the change there that's envisaged is feasting instead of famine, is it not? It's a picture of plenty as opposed to poverty. And that sort of language is often used in the Bible. It's part of the Bible's picture of what it is to be uh, joyful under the blessing of God. And it's unashamedly physical, too. This is a very different concept from Eastern religion, where we reach nirvana via starving our appetites. No, says the Bible, everything God created is to be richly enjoyed. And one day that will happen. We'll have plenty 
as opposed to poverty. Maybe this aspect of the promise doesn't easily register with us. Other parts of the world suffer more from deprivation and hardship. But we're not immune. We've realized that to the, the sensation that, you know, at the moment retail prices in the food industry have gone up with the alarming consequences that come for the price of a weekly shop. We're not immune to grim forecasts as um, school term comes to an end about what will happen for how many school children is it that don't get a, school, a square meal once the terms stop, those sorts of things. There are certainly individuals, families, where real need is felt around us, and it's possible actually for whole economies to collapse. Western economies are not immune from that. But a change is coming, says Isaiah, when poverty will be replaced with plenty. Then a final aspect of change, just to highlight here, I've got down in my notes, warfare to peace. But we could switch the language there from oppression to liberation, freedom. Let me read from verse 4, and you'll see uh, how that's borne out here. Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them. We didn't read back in the story of Gideon. But when those Midianites came in, they were like locusts that ate up everything. There wasn't food to go around. The, the threshing work was done in secret so that they couldn't steal your corn. There was oppression and scarcity there under that uh, warfare situation. You've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood. I don't know if that's for bandaging effects. You know how garments got used to, to patch people up in, in warfare situations. Every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So there the scene is that an invading army has gone and the yoke that shatters the occupied country has been thrown off. And you think of an invading army in any of the world's conflict zones when they leave. Well, then the hope is that every trace of the conquest that has been will be gone for good. Maybe not the boots which had trampled the land, but today it would be the mines, the booby traps, cleared, and the terror that goes with them is removed. And I'm at peace, therefore. And even the memory of the warfare we trust would be wiped out. Don't we long for that as we look at our world map at the moment? Now, of course, we chose the darkness. Since humanity fell in the past, each of us individually has chosen the darkness and rejected the light of God's truth. And we opt for the bankrupt existence of life without God. We add our own contribution of conflict and abuse of power to the world's strife. But God is promising a change. Okay, so much for the change. I, I'm guessing some people might be sitting there saying, oh, how unrealistic. That's just sentimental hogwash, isn't it? Well, Isaiah doesn't think so. He's so confident of the change that he actually puts the future into the past tense. He breaks the rules of grammar. The people have seen a great light. God has shattered 
the yoke of the invading armies. Past tense, because it's so certain that it will be done, that it is as good as done already. So the question is, how? Well, let's move on from the change to think about the child, the child through whom that change happens. These lovely verses that are well known. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, no doubt about it. Now, there was, I'm sure, a short-term fulfillment to these verses within the life of the Old Testament, maybe in the return in 200 or so years after Isaiah preached the return from Babylon. But this, of course, is one of hundreds of predictions in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. Many of them came true at the first Christmas, many others in his death and resurrection, the first Easter, Many, I suppose we need to say, will only be fully realized when Jesus comes back in glory. I actually want to cheat and and just select a couple of phrases within those verses which seem to me point so clearly to Jesus Christ. First, to us, a child is born, which I want to say points to his humanness. Jesus Christ, if you think about it, came into the world the way every one of us here did. He was born. There's more to say about his birth. We thought about that last week in Isaiah chapter 7. But in many ways, it was very familiar. You know how in nativity plays nowadays, people often are allowed to do a bit of updating. Kids can bring any costume they like, Tyrannosaurus, Princess Leia, some sort of superhero costume. They're all okay, and I suppose it's meant to make it feel a bit more like their world. But we don't have to work too hard to make this story accessible because the story of the nativity is our story. A child was born, a weak, defenseless baby. Philip Yancey said in one of his books, I suppose in that stable a donkey could have trodden on him. That probably wouldn't happen, I guess, in many modern maternity wards. But every birth is a cause of anxiety to parents. We can all relate to this story, can't we? So in many ways, this child was going to be no different to others. Growing for nine months inside his mummy, then born, and for the first few months of his life, going through all the different stages which we do, having his clothes changed, his nappy changed, whatever the equivalent was then, rolling over, sitting up, walking, talking. A child is born. So it's appointed to his humanness, to us, A child is born, wrote Isaiah. But we can't leave it at that, and Isaiah didn't. We can't leave it at that if we're talking about Jesus Christ, not with the titles he's given in this prophecy. I don't know if you've ever heard a list of the titles that uh, are rightly given to King Charles. I mean, before he was king, when he was out of the throne in waiting, um, there was a, a massive selection even then. For years, we knew him as His Royal Highness, Vice Admiral, Lieutenant General, Air Marshal, all three uh, of the armed forces, Prince of Wales, Duke of Cornwall, Duke of Rothesay, Earl of Carrick, Lord of Renfrew, 
Lord of the Isles, Prince and Great Steward of Scotland, Earl of Chester, Knight of the Thistle. Then he obviously picked up a few more titles when his father died. Duke of Edinburgh, Earl of Merioneth, Baron Greenwich, and now he's crowned. There are a few more impressive titles. Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith, Sovereign of the Most Noble Order of the Garter. I probably left a few out. Um, They sound grand, don't they? But those titles, however many there are, are nothing compared to the titles here given to Jesus Christ. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I want to just uh, look at one of those, that title, Mighty God, just because of the contrast, in one sense, that has with the description of him as a child, his humanness. He's much more than human, isn't he? means that the baby who was born in that stable was actually the one who made the whole universe. And in fact, you see God written all over his life, the life he went on to live, doing things only God could do, um, reading people's thoughts perfectly, uh, healing disease, calming storms, feeding multitudes, beating death, most notably his own. So he's fully human, a child is born, but fully divine, mighty God, uh, shown supremely in his own demolition of death when he rose again. And because he is both human and God, he can bring humanity and God together. He's like a bridge that reaches both ends of a chasm. That was particularly true of his death on the cross, where the God-man died so that human beings can be forgiven and brought into a never-ending friendship with God. God and human beings, like us, together forever. That's the, 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 the child who achieved the change. I was reminded how when the Allied forces were preparing to invade, the reading I've had of it um, says that you know, as that was being planned and sort of perfected in advance in early summer 1944, everybody knew that the first 48 hours was going to be decisive. But once a bridgehead got established into Europe, then the hope was, and the planning was all worked out this way, it would only be a matter of time before the enemy would be turned back to Berlin. And I suppose... Christmas seems to be a a tiny bridgehead. How can the birth of a baby have such huge effects? You might be sitting there thinking, how can he compare the birth of a baby with the biggest armored invasion in history? But the birth of this child was a bridgehead of infinitely greater significance than D-Day. A vast gulf was bridged through Jesus Christ when God became a human being. And in the words of that uh, saying often on our lips, human history can never be the same again. I mean, all those other titles here are are great, wonderful. That's a good title for Jesus, isn't it? Think of the endless supply of amazement and awe that's recorded wherever he went. Counselor. Well, he's the one whose wisdom and counsel shone in every word he said, both in public teaching, 
but also one-to-one in debate with others. Everlasting, Father. So, everlasting, no beginning and no end, but that amazing combination of authority and tenderness that showed through in the fatherliness, fatherliness of his love. Prince, he's powerful, Prince of Peace. His power is used for wholesome ends. And he puts his back into government, the government, God's government, as a blessing for God's people forever. Well, no wonder the change which this child brings was flagged up even before it happened. This is the greatest story ever told, the greatest love story ever told, that the God of heaven and earth would go to such lengths to bring us back to himself. And I hope it gives us all hope, a hope which we want to share with others. Now, you might be thinking, well, if it's such good news, why is there still such darkness in the world? And I'm very glad that you're asking that question, if you are asking it. I hope you'll allow me a couple of minutes in injury time of the sermon to begin an answer. Um, Okay, yes, you're telling me to keep going. That's good. One person nodded, okay? It's it's their fault. (laughs) Yeah, I started to answer this question in the prayer meeting on Wednesday with a bit of a sneak preview of the sermon uh, today. And I, I referred to a slide of what we sometimes call the overlap of the ages, here it is. Um, because the, the print is very small, you possibly can't see it. Um, but I will try and tell you what this little picture says. Um, when God made the world, he pronounced it, remember, very good. He looked at all he'd made, he said, very good. It was before human sin and evil had affected this age. Uh, this fallen age, I should say, because the line for this age is at the bottom of that diagram running left to right to indicate the passage of time. This picture therefore has this line at the bottom to indicate this age into which Jesus came at Christmas, his first coming. Uh, That's Jesus 1, the middle of those three red bars there. So Jesus came and Actually, we haven't looked at it, but if you wanted to check Matthew chapter 4, it quotes Isaiah 9 in reference to Jesus' first coming. Not actually in uh, Bethlehem when he was born. It actually talks about him bursting onto the scene in Galilee and preaching and says that's the light shining in the darkness that Isaiah 9 was talking about. Remember, Galilee actually features in those opening promises of uh, this prophecy so Jesus comes and a new age begins um, which is covered in this diagram with the upper right hand arrow heading rightwards there a new age the future heavenly kingdom age had started when Jesus comes but the old age continues all the while So that means that the two ages are overlapping and they will continue to overlap until Jesus comes again a second time, Jesus too. At which point the old age will face judgment and uh, 
the new age, the heavenly kingdom, will run uninterrupted. I suppose I should have done a dotted arrow for the top line off to the right-hand side of the page there, but hey, we didn't think of that at the time. So that carries on uninterrupted with all traces of sin and evil and boots and garments uh, stained with blood removed forever. So that elimination of darkness is promised in Isaiah 9, but it's only enjoyed partially at the moment. We're, We're still in what's called the overlap of the ages. Look for the way the Bible often uses the language of now and not yet to talk about uh, good things that we enjoy now. Lots of good things if we already belong to Christ now. Forgiveness of our sins, access to God in heaven, answered prayers, a purpose to live for. Somebody reminded me after the first service that um, we are, according to Jesus, already. His people are the light of the world. Now, shining. There's lots of good things now. But still, marks of the old age, the struggle with getting older, or failing health, or disappointments in life, or spiritual attack. The enemies aren't vanquished yet, are they? Let's just have another slide if we can. This is a slide we looked at last week from my early days as an artist. This is the analogy of looking up a mountain from the base where God's prophets predicted a glorious future. And Isaiah's contemporaries hear the prediction of light in the place of darkness. Remember, it's so certain that God says in advance it's done, past tense, guaranteed. And maybe there's a short-term fulfillment within the Old Testament story, but there is still more of this mountain lying further on, another peak, when Jesus comes the first time. So Matthew chapter 4 is able to say when Jesus burst onto the scene preaching in Galilee, that was unmistakably a second peak which Isaiah had predicted when he foretold in the future he'll honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. But is it the summit when Jesus comes the first time? No. Even after those three years when the government was seen so clearly to be on his shoulders... All humanity's enemies being defeated one after the other. Even then, the king was still rejected, wasn't he? And evil's not been destroyed yet. That fulfillment lies in the future. Then, at last, every boot that's destined for burning will be destroyed, but not until then. So, that return of Christ is the top of the mountain, the final, full fulfillment of a prophecy like So at the moment, we're somewhere between peaks two and three. And of course, sometimes that will feel like we're in a dip. Maybe that's helped by sometimes we have a a slightly sort of temperamental blips ourselves. But, you know, that's reality. That's true. We are still aware of the darkness around us. But don't give up, say the prophets. God always keeps his promises. Let me try very quickly another set of slides to make the point a slightly different way. Um, Imagine two round plates of different sizes. If you look at them front on, you can't easily distinguish them. It almost looks like one plate there. But imagine you have a side-on view. Thank you. 
then you can detect that there are two plates of different sizes. Now, that's an illustration of how plate number one is a smaller fulfillment of Isaiah 9 in Jesus' first coming. And the full overthrow of darkness is when he comes again. And there's a gap between the two in the passage of time running left to right, I suppose, in all these diagrams. So, same prophecy, same prediction, but two installments or more, I suppose you could say, to fulfill them. And why not? When you think that to the everlasting Father, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. But here's the point. Here's where we can find hope in Christmas. If God's prediction from Isaiah's time in the 8th century is fulfilled in Jesus' first coming and proven true in the birth of a child at Christmas, if his promise to honor Galilee of the Gentiles has been kept in Jesus' first coming, doesn't it show that he's in the business of keeping every element of the promise? Jesus will come again to complete the job. So I'm so glad that Galilee got the mention in Isaiah's prophecy. That little detail gives me hope. The enemy will be pushed back to Berlin, as it were. The bridgehead has been established. So I've got hope for myself, and I've got hope to share. That means we can lift up our heads and lift them up high and invite people to come to a course like Hope Explored on Wednesday nights. Well, let's pray and uh, turn to God in prayer in response to his word. Lord, it's my prayer that the promise of joy would be fulfilled amongst us. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Will you make us a joyful, hopeful people this Christmas? I pray it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.